0: Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Surprise, surprise. Surprise. The lockdown is going to be extended for at least another three weeks. Is there anyone else that is surprised by this? Because I'm certainly not. The dweebs that seem to represent the mainstream media these days are all shocked and stunned. Apparently. How very odd. We will be reaching out to you today to discover how you're feeling, how you're coping, and how you are planning to get through the next month or so without being able to do very much of anything. Apparently, people are worried because it's a bank holiday weekend and you won't be able to go outside and you won't be able to go anywhere and you won't be able to go on holiday. For heaven's sake. What's the problem? I know that some of you might be in difficult situations. I know that some of you uh, might be suffering from one kind of ill or another. And I know that some of you uh, might be feeling a little bit miserable, but here we are uh, where we are. And basically, we're going to be here for a while. So I think we might as well get rid of any lingering doubts that suddenly we're all going to be taking holidays in uh, Tasmania anytime soon or driving off to Cornwall anytime soon or heading to the beach anytime soon. Also this morning, I'm going to be asking a few questions of the government. For starters, why is Chancellor Rishi Sunak handing out 750 million quid to charities during this crisis when so many small businesses are struggling to stay afloat and are falling between the cracks of the rescue packages? I've got no problem at all with small sp- small local charities and hospices at the front line of dealing with this ghastly pandemic. But I'll be damned if I want to see any of it going to the bigger charities to employ dozens of middle-class virtue signallers on six-figure salaries. Most of these big charities have reserves running into the multi-millions of pounds. Let them live off those and give the government money to small businesses, sole traders, and the self-employed who are currently struggling to pay their bills. You know it makes sense, doesn't it? We'll be asking the government to answer this question for us. 03444991000. Coming up, we'll be hearing from a small business owner himself who has had to shut down his stall at borough market and is now making meals for the nhs and we'll be traveling to hong kong to find out how they're dealing with the coronavirus crisis and we'll also head to the usa in the wake of bernie sanders quitting the presidential race and leaving it as pretty much a two-horse affair with donald trump versus joe biden oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand plus our homeschooling lesson today comes from the british museum where we are going to hear all about the ancient egyptians and as ever we are live streaming on youtube on facebook and of course on twitter you'll listen to me mike graham on the fastest great radio station on the planet it is of course talk radio mid morning with mike graham talk radio now, imagine my surprise when I woke up this morning where it said lockdown, no end in sight, front page of the Daily Express, where it says the Telegraph, ministers delay lockdown move uh, until Johnson's health improves, get set for more weeks of more lockdown in the Daily Mail. Same goes for The Times, same goes for The Guardian today. I've actually got lockdown to be extended as Daily Death Toll tops 900. They must have been listening to me yesterday because they've actually written a headline that makes sense and is entirely true, as opposed to the one that they made up yesterday, uh, which forced me to tear their newspaper up. Today, The Guardian survives to live for a little while. Uh, I'm not going to tear it up. But uh, thank you to all of you who viewed that. Uh, it's up around about 100,000 views now, that one. So uh, keep looking for it on Twitter. Uh, look for it on Facebook. Look for it as well uh, on YouTube. And we are live on YouTube right now. So if you're not watching us, you should be. Let's talk to James Starkey, uh, who is, of course, former special advisor to Priti Patel and Michael Gove. Let's find out how his lockdown is going. James, a very good morning to you. Very good morning to you. Thanks for having me on, Mike. Not at all. Welcome to the independent republic uh, of Mike Graham. You might wish, I suppose, uh, being a special advisor, a former special advisor, that you were right in there still at the heart of it all. uh, Or you might wish or or be happy that you're not.
1: (laughs) Well, exactly. I mean, you're always caught in a bit too too mixed in two emotions because part of you does... Want to be in there? I still speak speak to a lot of my former colleagues. The part of you, to be honest, is grateful to be at home with your family. You know, being able to help out in that way.
0: Yes, exactly right. How are you sort of dealing with it all? Are you are you okay? Are you are you managing okay?
1: Yeah, I find I was chatting to a few people over the last couple of days. That I find I don't know how you are and your listeners are, but I find you get into like a bit of a rhythm, mm. and you know, you've got you've got your, you've got your couple of times that you go out in the day. You know, go off to Sainsbury's and then go for, take I take my two young girls for a bit of exercise, and, you know, day goes quite quick. And before, I'm I'm going to bed a lot
0: earlier, that's definitely true. Um, Do you know what? I'm finding that it's taking me a lot longer to do everything, so that, you know, um, instead of getting home, say, for example, after finishing here at one o'clock, say, by about quarter to two, I'm sort of hanging around a bit longer uh, at work, I'm doing some other things here, doing recording podcasts, that kind of thing, and I tend to sort of get home closer to three, you know, by which time you start doing a bit of cooking, you start watching a bit of the, the, the daily briefing, and suddenly it's seven o'clock. You know, time does go reasonably quickly if you manage it properly.
1: Totally. I mean, I'm doing a lot more cooking, which my wife is very, very happy with, um, and I haven't managed to poison the girls yet, so that's like <laughs> that's number
0: one.
2: Yes.
1: Um, and I do the other thing, I think, as well, is that I just talk to a lot more friends and family. that yeah. I just, you know, maybe I do have time normally. Maybe we do, should make time for these things, but... I just find myself having a little natter there with like former colleagues or friends, even people abroad who are experiencing their own different kind of slightly different lockdown mm. scenario.
0: Yeah. What are you making so far of the way the government's handling all this? No, I think it's massively difficult. I'm,
1: I mean, well, first I'd say 100% agree with you about what your comments this morning in the media about the media. Yeah. I saw the headlines last night on Twitter, and I mentioned it to my wife, who's you know not doesn't follow politics particularly follows the, follows the daily briefings as you said like i think a lot of the country do yeah but we, her first comment was like well that's not news like everybody knows this is going to carry on yeah um, and i think there's a kind of i do think there's a bit of a disconnect sometimes between when i speak to my family who are like northampton stoke based um bit out of thing a bubble type of thing yeah. and then people perhaps in london which is like the experience is they don't rate these daily press conferences as a personality contest, no. Yeah, you know, it's just it's just about information. Tell us what to do, what not to do.
0: Um, well, this is what I, I think. think. I mean, I think they'd be far better off. And I said this a week ago before anybody else kind of got gotten onto it. That the, the questioning by the journalists is pretty pointless at this at this point in time because they're not really eliciting any further information. You know, when you get Laura Koonsberg starting her question with "Do you accept that?" It's just well, hang on a minute. That's not that's not the way to ask a question. If I was if I'd been Rishi Sunak yesterday, I think I would have said, "Excuse me, Laura, don't start a question with that kind of tone." And if you want to ask me a question which will elicit some information, then go ahead. But if you're not going to, don't ask me about something that's already gone past.
1: Yeah, I think I, I think we've seen a lot of the... Um, not from everybody, but a lot of the like what I would call gotcha journalism, which is just tra- straight away fishing for a story. The other week we had. Matt Hancock refused to say he would resign if... Yeah. Uh, well, I don't think people want... I don't, I don't know anybody who wants Matt Hancock to resign. Nobody to cares about that. No, exactly. No, they want him to focus on... And to be fair to Matt, he was really clear at the time and said, look, we might not hit these targets, but I'm just going give to us, give us a challenge. And it, it was very clear, said, so I'm going to level with you, tell you all the challenges I've got. And people totally accept that, and they don't want party politics. They don't want that kind of gotcha journalism. They just, I think they just want the information. And yeah. like you said, it's part of their day as well, that five o'clock. They just want to hear what, you know, what's what's the latest and, and should they be doing anything different.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the latest ridiculous kind of uh, point that was being made yesterday as well was that, you know, why have we not had any women fronting these daily briefings from the Cabinet? Um, and some people have asked about Pretty Patel. I suspect they haven't put Priti Patel up because she wouldn't take any nonsense from them and she might actually give them a verbal slapping.
1: Well, I can definitely tell you from my experience pretty she wouldn't take any nonsense. No. That is... Hundred percent true. Um, what I do know is, there's—I mean, look, there's lots of women in government, and they're—they're they're like everybody else. They're working really hard. And I think just because you don't see someone at a daily press conference it doesn't mean they're not doing things. You know, government is not decided by how many media appearances you make. I hate to break it to some of the press, but it's just not. Um, It's—you know—government is the hard graft that you get in early in the morning, as I'm sure people in the Home Office, in the Botan, in the Cabinet Office, etc are doing and in the health department you know they're all getting in there early they're all working all day it's not about whether or not you've appeared on tv at five o'clock that doesn't you know that is it that as as we've said that's so the government can transmit information that can be done by Yes,
0: absolutely right. And they have got a mammoth task uh, at hand. And as I say, uh, I'm not being critical of them when I say, look, these are are problems that we need to fix. But we do hear from an awful lot of uh, small businesses and self-employed people on this show, people who are falling between the cracks financially. And I really do think that the government will need to address those particular people and those particular problems. I spoke to Bob Seeley yesterday, the MP for the Isle of Wight, and he was saying that if you contact your local MP... That might be helpful because they've got a direct line into the treasury.
1: Yeah, and Bob's a fantastic MP as well. I mean, I've, I've had a few friends and like former acquaintances from government ask that, and that's what I've encouraged them to do. You know? mm. have you spoken to a to your MP? Because I know I've obviously got a few friends who are MPs, I'm sure, like yourself, and you know, they are working really hard at home. They're taking the casework, and that's one of the things they're very happy to do is to take up, take up things. You know, because I think there is a real challenge for government. You know. Even at its best, government is uh, it's a big machine, and it's difficult to get it to react to things on a daily basis With they ha- having to do. I think, broadly speaking, government's doing a really great job of that. But there's no doubt there's some, still some challenges on the ground. And I think, it's, as you said, the best place to go is you know, get to your local MP. They can, they can lobby your case on your behalf to, you know, to the Treasury and Bays and so on who are helping with this.
0: Yeah, absolutely right. And as far as the kind of lockdown goes, um, you know, some versions of the story this morning are saying, you know, obviously they're waiting for Boris Johnson to, to recover. I think it's probably a bit more than that because there isn't really any evidence to suggest that letting the lockdown relax at this point is going to be helpful.
1: No. And I think, look, from everything we've seen, and I'm sure, uh, you know, we all, we all definitely wish the Prime Minister well in a speedy recovery. But I think it brought home to us, you know, for yeah, some of us also, you know, I know, I know Boris a little bit. Um, but for all everybody in the country, you know, seeing seeing a prime minister like that, I think it brought it home to us the seriousness of this, the importance of following the government advice, you know, stay at home, save lives. And I don't think I think I don't think people are desperate to, you know, break that. They all understand that this is there for a reason. It's there for all of us. It's there mm. to help protect lives. Um, and I, I you know I would, I would expect the government in the, in the coming days, or certainly by the beginning of next week kind of let us know more about what's going on. But as we said at the top, I don't think people are really... It's a real big surprise to people if there is indeed a continuation of the lockdown.
0: No, quite. And also, when people say things like, well, I wonder how long it is before we return to normal, I think people need to get into their heads that this is normal. This is basically normality, and it will be for a long time. I 100%
1: agree with you. I mean, I think, speaking to people in government, um, what, what is the case is there is thought going into... What, you know, what does life look, do- look like after this lockdown? Mm. But we are looking at social distances, distancing, sorry, if I can speak properly, measures after that. So, you know, that, that will be the way we use public transport, I think, will change. Yes. The way we work will change. We might be asked to, for example, go in on alternate days, work at home a lot more. I think we'll see more of that anyway. Um, uh, th- there'll be a range of measures, I suspect, which means, as you said, Life won't return to normal, certainly as we knew it three, four months ago, in, in the short term or perhaps even the medium term.
0: No, because if you can do something from home, for most people, and I know this doesn't apply to everyone because it's not necessarily true of every single job and every single individual, but if most people could work from home, they'd probably be quite happy to do that.
1: Yeah, I think they would. And, it, you know, it's, it's not possible for everyone, as you say, but I think the ways of working, you know, how many of us have been on Zoom calls and so on over the past, few weeks i think it probably brings it home that there are things that you can do at home mm. there are things that perhaps like you said look my brother's a builder it's been pretty difficult for him to do that at home but um you know me and, me and me and my other brother you know perhaps we've got elements of our work that we can do at home during the week and i think we'll see a significant shift in working practices which is there's no bad thing i mean a lot of us would probably quite welcome a bit more work-life balance i think
0: well, exactly right. And so, I mean, as far as the kind of um, uh, the economy is concerned, what are your friends in, in government and your former sort of um, uh, special advisor mates telling you? What are they? What are they prepared to do uh, if what they've put up so far turns out not to be enough? I
1: think they keep, I know, they're, they're definitely keeping a constant eye on things, uh, looking at the areas of the economy that's, that that makes sense to help. And you see, I think we've seen the Chancellor Rishi do a really good job of reacting to things that develop. there are are going to be unforeseen consequences of some of the actions they've taken. They're looking at those right now. I think the government's shown itself to be incredibly reactive to situations that are going on on the ground at relatively short distances. I understand for a lot of people, for example, there's that week where it perhaps took three or four days to come out with the self-employed support. Um, And that is really difficult for people at home. There'll be lots of people listening to your show who will, will, will have really felt the pain of that, and I totally understand But I think, you know, to turn around a policy that normally in government, you were talking about weeks, maybe even months. And the chancellor and his team who are working incredibly closely with number 10, I know. They managed to turn that around and get a policy delivered in four days. Now, in government terms, that is lightning speed quick, I Mm. promise you.
0: Yeah, absolutely right. Well, listen, James, you take care. Thanks very much indeed for talking to us. James Starkey, uh, former special advisor to Pre Patel and Michael Gove uh, talking about the massive struggle uh, that government's having to go through at the moment. And listen, I'm very forgiving when it comes to what government policy is going to be, but what I am also going to do is continue to press them uh, to do the things that they ought to be doing. And what I would like to say about the money, £750 million that they've pledged for the charitable sector, I've got no problem with the money that is going to go to small local charities and hospices and places where People are really at the front line of dealing with the coronavirus. What I am not wanting to see, though, is them giving any sort of money to the bigger charities, the ones that have many, many uh, workers on six-figure salaries just because they have to keep paying uh, these kind of middle-class virtue signallers. I don't want to see that. I want to see that money going into uh, the private sector, going into uh, the small businesses that are struggling right now. And if you are one of those small businesses, we want to hear from you. 0344-499-1000 is the number. This is Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. You can, of course, tweet us uh, at Talk Radio, at I-R-O-M-G. Mike says this, Mike, you're bang on with your opening this morning. I tweeted last night about the four big charities awash with money in their bank accounts. You definitely have your finger on the pulse. Keep well. Uh, And the Box Man says, Mike, the top 157 charities in the UK have an average cash reserve of over £23 million each. Help for Heroes has hoarded £45 million. Well, if they've got all this money, why would they need to have a handout from the government? that's my question 0344 also we're going to have the chief pharmacologist of Boots coming on later on uh, and if you need uh, any help if you've got any questions for him uh, the head of the pharmacy department at Boots uh, please do send your questions in you can tweet them at Talk Radio uh, you can of course text them as well to 87222 start your message with the word talk let's go to the phones though uh, because we want to hear from all of you out there no matter what is happening in your lives you may wish to have someone to talk to uh, you may just want to complain about something you may just want to tell us a story Stephen uh, is here from East London. Hello, Stephen.
3: Hello, Mike. How are you doing?
0: Yeah, not bad, sir. What can I do for you?
3: Um, I just want to tell you uh, share a bit of my story, really. Okay. Um, uh, about three weeks ago, uh, I was experiencing symptoms with the COVID thing. Yeah. And um, obviously we called the 111 service and they told us to... told Well, my wife called, called them and told... Her, she, they said to her, he's, he's got to self-isolate for seven days. Okay. Um, what
0: sort of symptoms he, did you have?
3: Uh, uh, very uh well, it was very strange because I work in care, and um I was doing a double shift that day, right. and I started at half past seven in the morning and uh about half past seven in the night in the evening, I started getting these achy legs right. my feet and uh feet and legs were just achy. So that's all okay. it was a strange ache it was an ache I've never had before mm. um and my wife was working that evening in another scheme uh, just down the road. Uh, she, she finishes uh, roughly about the same time. I went to pick her up, and by the time I picked her up, I started shivering.
2: Right.
3: So I got home, <clears throat> um, and I went straight into bed, and I didn't wake up till 11 o'clock the next day, uh, at which point the the shiver and, and the fever had gone. Right. But the ache still remained, but it spread into my spine. Mm. Um, so uh, I, I, that was the worst thing that I ever felt was that ache in the spine. Right, it just made me walk like an old man. And
0: and you uh, were very were you very fatigued? Because I'm hearing that, that people get very fatigued, they can't do anything. Uh, really.
3: Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I'm asthmatic and I've never got a cough or any um, uh, breathing problems. Okay. You know, any, any any no
0: shortness you know, of breath or anything?
3: No, 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 no. However, I, did, I was coughing up phlegm, but I couldn't feel it, if you know what I mean. Yes. I mean, I could feel it when I coughed it up, but I couldn't feel it in there to cough up. Yes. And, uh... <clears throat> so, um... Yeah, apart from that, it, it, it was great. So it was, I was told to sci- self-isolate. Then the next day, my wife started getting symptoms. sort.
0: Right. Same, same sort, for, same you know sort of
3: got, thing. Well, she didn't get fever. That's the thing. Um, she was complaining about a headache... Um nothing, no problems in her chest, mm. just the 80 joints like I was getting. And this went on for about two weeks and after the two weeks self isolation <clears throat> I was I was okay, but I was still feeling the symptoms. I wasn't I wasn't in agony or I could go to work, you know, I could feel like I could go to work, but right. I could just feel the, the dizziness in my head still and the little aches here and there. But I was I was fine, so I phoned up. Because I work in care, I didn't know if I was still viral or, right. you know, if i could pass it on to the vulnerable clients.
0: And how many days after was this?
3: This was, this was two weeks.
0: Oh, so after two weeks, OK.
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, um, so uh, I phoned up my HR, the head office, and asked if I could uh, get another self-isolation note for another week just to be on the safe side. And they said, uh, no, you can't do that, because if they only run it for two weeks, you'll have to go and get a sick note off your doctor or... Really? Yeah. Um, or, which or... is not
0: that easy to do at the moment, is it?
3: It's absolutely a nightmare, and, and the frustrating thing about that is I was, I'll, which I'll get onto in a minute with my wife, is I'll try to get one for her, and it was just, it was virtually impossible. Mm. Um... um So anyway, what I did, I phoned my manager up and and luckily I was scheduled to, because I was off work for two weeks, I was scheduled to go back the following Thursday, which was eight days away. Okay. I thought, oh, I won't need a a certificate because, you know, by then I'll definitely be all right and my wife should be okay and we can get back to normal. Right. Uh, Well, last Monday my wife started coming down with um, breathing problems. <clears throat> and this is two weeks after I got it, and right. she got it kind of the uh, day after I did. So it's roughly about two weeks.
0: So she'd had it for two weeks already? Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Um, actually, tell her like it was about Sunday night she started doing it. But by Monday, I, I called 111 about her, and uh, we managed to speak to a doctor after a couple of hours. And he prescribed us some antibiotics. Okay. <clears throat> And um, so I'm thinking, not knowing anything about the virus, you know, anything about the anatomy of viruses and and antibiotics, you know, at that time, uh, I I was pretty hopeful because every time I've had a flu and had antibiotics, I've got better. Yes. Uh, So four days later on the Thursday, there's no change in her. I, I, I was sitting there watching her, struggling for breath, Kind of, uh, hoping these antibiotics are going to kick in, you know, mm. within the four days. Um, I, I think on the Wednesday I said I think I need to call a, an ambulance for you because you're not you're not doing well. Right. She goes no, just give it one more day. I, I'm feeling a little bit better. Just give it one more day because she hates hospitals. know. So. Yeah. And uh, in that time between Monday and Friday. She went in on Friday, by the way. But between that time, I hardly had a conversation with her because if if I asked her a question, the thought of her answering it just before she answered made her have a coughing fit. Yeah. She had no appetite whatsoever. She tried to eat something, and as soon as she did, she just uh, vomited up. Really? So this is
0: like week three by this time,
3: right? Yeah, this is week three. Right. Um, I mean, actually, my fourth week off work now. Yeah. Uh, uh, another thing I'll come back to in a minute. Um, so she convinced me to not call the ambulance. So I wait to Thursday, and she seemed a bit better. So I thought, all right, that's that's, that's good. She's improved a bit. Mm. So I didn't call the ambulance. But on Friday she took a turn for the worst again. So I said, I'm calling them. So as soon as the paramedics got here. Which another, that is another thing. I've never waited so long for the 999 service to yep. answer in my life. Um, and even when the ambulance arrived, it took about an hour and a half as well. Right. Um, understandably, I suppose.
0: Yes. Yeah, um, they're quite busy,
3: yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So they put the oxygen thing um, on a finger and the saturati- saturation levels were 79.
0: Oi. That's yeah. very low, isn't it? Because yeah. supposedly Boris's were 94.
3: Well, my wife's a 94 now.
0: Okay, Um,
3: But um, I'll come on to that in a minute. Uh, So, yeah, 79, uh, took her straight in. Uh, So i kissed her goodbye in the ambulance, and that's the last time I've seen her, obviously, uh, in the flesh. So she went in on Friday. Um, By Sunday, she was on an oxygen mask, and by Sunday they had to... Put a you know one of those you've probably seen them uh, those ventilation tanks on the reds. yes You've probably seen a lot of them in Italy um, they put one of them on um, a <clears throat> and then uh, I think Monday uh, I, and, and all the communication I've had with her is by text messaging yeah
0: is she um, able to, is she able to text you
3: she she is uh, the the problem was I can't talk to her because she can't hear me yes that that thing's driving her mad. The the, the oxygen noise reverber- reverberating around that tank is, yeah. uh, it makes it difficult for her... Um,
0: but uh, she's she, conscious, though, right?
2: She's
3: conscious. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and she's doing really well now in okay. herself. Right. The problem is I've had two updates from the doctor. They kind of update me every three days or something. Right. And <clears throat> the nuance nuance in their voice is not very reassuring. Mm. Um because even though her oxygen levels have gone up to 94 um, from 79, which is brilliant, um, <clears throat> and she feels good in herself, her appetite's coming back. Yeah. Uh, I think on Sunday as well, they put a feeding tube up her nose as well, which yeah. uh, which also makes it hard for her to talk. Uh, she's very uncomfortable. And, uh, um, um, yeah, so her, oxygen, her appetite's coming back. And I've seen her smile when I video-called her. Even though I can't hear her, it's nice to see her. If you know yes, what I mean.
0: OK. Well, <clears throat> um, it sounds like things are improving, though, doesn't it?
3: It does. It's only when the doctors... They've phoned me twice now since she's been in there, and and, and it's two different doctors, and and they both said the same thing about her pneumonia. She said her oxygen levels are really good. Her heart rate's a little bit up. Um, but unfortunately, the, the x-rays are getting worse. OK. On
0: her pneumonia. Um well, well, all we can hope for, I suppose, Stephen, is is that, uh, you know, the improvement continues. It's good that they're in touch with you, at least, and thanks for, for letting us know how she is. And let us keep us informed, please, Stephen, if you could, as to how she's getting on, because that's a pretty good um, sort of in-a-nutshell description of what can happen to people. Um, and with a bit of luck, it will have a happy ending, and it sounds as though she will be coming home. But let's see uh, how that uh, pans out. Stephen, thanks very much indeed uh, for your call. We'll take more of your calls. Uh, we want to hear from more of you, of course, throughout the course of the show. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Let's get some news headlines with Rachel Jewell. Talk Radio. Half-hour headlines. The
4: government's holding an emergency meeting this afternoon to discuss extending the lockdown. Monday will be three weeks since we were told to stay home. Is expected, the measures will come continue into May at the earliest. McMillan and cancer Support says money set aside by the government for charities hit by Covid-19 is welcome but doesn't go far enough. Ministers are giving out £750 million to keep organisations across the UK afloat. The Culture Minister Oliver Dowden has been telling Talk Radio there will be some restrictions but they will do all they can to make sure charities can still provide vital services.
1: Smaller charities, if they are running out of uh, money, and we still need them to be delivering uh, services. They can rely on this fund, particularly through the National Lotteries Community Fund. But we'll we'll establish strict criteria for that, so it will only be if charities can't get resources elsewhere that they can rely on it.
4: The economic impact of the coronavirus lockdown could leave hundreds of thousands of people with long-term illnesses for years to come. The Institute for Fiscal Studies warned it expects unemployment will be far worse than the 2008 financial crisis, which led to 900,000 people developing chronic illness. And nearly half of adults have seen false or misleading online information about COVID-19 in the last week. The report from Ofcom urges social media companies to do more to remove fake news. The weather, much of England and Wales and Northern Ireland, fine and warm, cooler with showers across the north of Scotland. There's more news in half an hour.
0: Evenings with James Whale on
5: Talk Radio. It's that time of the year.
4: Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze...
0: Mid morning with Mike Graham Talk Radio Now it's time to cross live to our Gloucester correspondent uh, who is Alex Phillips down in Gloucestershire leafy Gloucestershire you might say home of the wild boars hello miss and ms phillips hello
6: home of the wild boars and fred west
0: <laughs> yeah well that's not exactly what you'd put on the uh, on the poster for tourism really is it but there we are how are you doing Yeah, I'm good. I'm actually quite enjoying lockdown. Is that wrong to say that? I don't think it is. I mean, I think there are certain people who are... Matt Kelly, who I do the Thought Police podcast with, he's also quite enjoying it. He's stuck up in Norfolk with his family, and he said he had to. it took him a little while to kind of get used to having everybody around all the time because he's got three kids um, and a wife. And he said, we've sort of got used to it now, and we just have a slightly different way of mingling with one another because you're staying at your parents' house, aren't you?
6: Yeah, I mean, I had my flat in Brussels, and I thought, I don't want to be stuck here by myself. And I thought someone needs to come back and babysit my retired parents, so I put myself up to, to the task of being their private chef and personal trainer. That's good. brilliant. And it's so like you amazing. go out,
0: and so do you go out and do all the shopping for them as well.
6: I do. I go out and do all the supermarket shopping, then I come back and pretend I'm Heston Blumenthal in the kitchen, been cooking <laughs> up all sorts of weird things.
0: Have you made any avocado custard yet?
6: No, but you know what? I've been watching Great British Menu avidly, and Have someone you? made a cheese custard the other day, and really? it's right at the forefront of my mind. Well,
0: I hope you've been subscribing to my food podcast, MG's Kitchen, because uh, you get some good ideas for stuff to make there.
6: Absolutely. Well, without a doubt. I mean, I, I, there was no one else I'd turn to but, <laughs> but you when it comes to cooking
0: advice. Now, what about uh, the cruel people out there on social media? Because Andrew Marr put out some uh, what can only be described as paintings, I suppose, loosely yesterday. Uh, which weren't particularly good, but he got absolutely slaughtered by people, didn't he?
6: Oh my gosh, I was awake until two o'clock in the morning, bearing in mind I went to bed way before midnight, as I'm prone to do during this lockdown. I was up until two o'clock in the morning, my sides absolutely splitting (laughs) reading the comments on Twitter underneath his post. It was utterly brilliant. It was British comedy at its best.
0: Yes, because I mean, people are doing all sorts of strange and unusual things. I mean, I was saying the other day, I saw Toy Wilcox and Robert Fripp, who don't live too far from you, I don't think, uh, doing some kind of weird ballroom dancing thing. Um, oh, the um,
6: celebs are the worst. I think the thing is, these people are so used to adoration. They're so used to going into TV studios, having their faces plastered all over screens, yeah. and walking to the supermarket and being recognised and spoken to and asked for autographs, that the minute they're locked away in home and no one's paying attention, they have to go to absolute extremes. We have Madonna marinating herself in poetry, yes. doing some peculiar soliloquy. I mean, it just, it's the gift that keeps on giving I love it
0: it really is amazing and have you taken up any kind of apart from cooking are you doing anything that you haven't ever really done before
6: yeah exercise <laughs> <laughs> and within about two weeks I've already done something to my ankle and can barely oh walk. god
0: jeez and so what are you, are you sort of exercising in the house because I've been t- talking to a lot of people who are saying you know you can do all this stuff online now you can find personal trainers you can sort of find yoga classes online people are going well why would you bother joining a gym or why yeah. would you bother paying for one
6: I mean, I've never been a fan of gym anyway, what with the sort of weird electro music and people looking at themselves in mirrors and the sort of general smell of must and the lurid lighting. I mean, I can live without that quite happily. And everybody else else looking at you. But, um, yeah, no, I, I mean, I've been doing a bit of yoga online from America, this amazing teacher called Adrienne. I'd recommend it to anybody. Okay. I mean, I'm a bit of a hippy dippy anyway, and I've always quite liked yoga. But it is so relaxing, and you, you genuinely do feel your body toning up. And really, it helps. Can anybody do yoga
0: though? I mean, I, I don't think I could do yoga. Of
6: course, you could. Could I? You- You've got legs and arms, you can do yoga. <laughs> I
0: have, and they're actually surprisingly flexible, but nevertheless, I'm not sure. I don't know, see myself as the downward dog, lotus position well, or like this
6: that. Sort of, there's this almost sort of, um, men especially, a bit anti yoga, it has to be said. People see it as a bit of a girly pursuit. Yeah. But genuinely, you'll have the best night's sleep of your life. Really?
0: Well, I don't have and any trouble sleeping. A waking, lot of it, it's waking up I have a problem with. <laughs>
6: Well, a lot of it involves breathing exercises. All your movements are being done with sort of very regulated breathing, which yes. expands your lung capacity, which, frankly, if you're going to end up in ICU with COVID, you could do with some good lung function. So. Well, exactly,
0: yeah. And so what are things like down in, in, in your part of the world, as far as Gloucester and stuff is concerned? Is it yes. pretty quiet? Because I'm hearing from a lot of people outside of London that it's actually people are behaving much better, although having just discovered that they had to, the police had to break up over 650 parties at the weekend last weekend.
6: Really? Um, Nothing like know. that down here. In fact, actually... If you look at the stats, the southwest is behind the country by a significant margin when it comes to infection rates. So, you know, we're really doing something right in this part of the world. But my parents live in um, 70s suburbia, right. on, just on the outskirts of the city. And the general vibe in the cul-de-sac is beautiful. Like, we had, Actually, we have got a WhatsApp group where we all say we're going to the shop, do you need anything, and leave things on each other's front doors. And then on Friday, we're going to have a little cul-de-sac party. But before people call the police, yeah. the agreement is we're going to bring... Chairs and just sit at the ends of our drive, so right. miles apart, yeah. and all have gin and tonics and put a radio on and sort of yell at each other around the cul de It's lovely. That
0: all I'm, sounds quite civilised, yeah. I'm
6: really up for moving back to suburbia. I've been living in capital cities in apartments and, you know, whining and dining yeah. way too much. And I'm, I'm quite up for a nice back garden. Well, and I th- Yeah, I mean, I think a intense. lot of
0: people are wishing that they did live in the countryside now with a garden, because if they don't have one, if you haven't got any outdoor space at all, it's a little bit claustrophobic, I think, for a lot of people.
6: Yeah, and, you know, I forgot what neighbours were. When you live in a capital city, you, you probably actually have a neighbour who you hear all the time walking around above you or next door, yeah. and you, you don't even know their name. Whereas you go out into the real world, you know, in, into where most of the country live, and people do know their neighbours and all their life business, and curtains twitch and gossip is shared, and, and actually there's something really nice about it.
0: Yes, no, I think that's very true. And people tend to be more likely to do things for one another as well, don't they?
6: Yeah, there is a huge community, fee- community feeling, certainly where I am right now. I mean, I, I'm, I'm I'm absolutely chuffed. We've got a vicar in the corner, and, you know, we all did clap for Boris. And they said, oh, we've got to go back in because we're leading a prayer group if you guys want to sign up online. We've got an elderly neighbour who everyone's taking it in turns to make sure he's got his food. Um, there's the couple next door who've got a, a, a new baby, and the woman in the corner's granddaughter's just had a baby, so we all came out and sang Isn't She Lovely by Stevie Wonder to celebrate that, and it's just... It's lovely.
0: It is nice, isn't it? And what are you hearing from your former uh, home city of Brussels? Because I see somebody resigned over in the EU the other day, but the EU has now become so kind of irrelevant that I very rarely pay much attention to anything they say now.
6: Well, I, it's really potentially on its last legs. And without going into too much boring detail about economics, for yeah. those who don't really understand it like me, um, basically, Italy and Spain are the two countries, as we all know, that were most affected other than Greece yeah. during the debt crisis after the Eurozone crash. And they can't, like, we've bailed out companies and, you know, helping pay percentages of salaries and so on and so forth. Italy and Spain can't even dream of doing that because they can't borrow. Their economies are so weak, they're riddled with debt and deficit. So they've been saying to the rest of the EU and the Eurozone, let's come up with this thing called Corona Bonds, which essentially, at the moment, countries borrow based on their individual merits in the Eurozone. And it's saying, let's share the responsibility and the Eurozone as a whole borrows on the international markets. And of course, the more... Fluent countries like um, the Netherlands mm. and Germany who look at the Mediterranean countries and think they're economic crackpots, have so said, no way. Yeah. And as a result, you've got burning of e- EU flags in Italy. For the first time ever, polling has shown if there was a referendum now on Italy leading the EU, they would be gone. But the fact of the matter is this. I don't know if the euro is going to be able to get through this no. when all is said and done and we have an economic crisis at the end of all this. And if the eurozone breaks up, and the anti theme against the EU keeps on increasing and that keystone is wrenched out from the middle of the project, it's going to be, you know, hard to argue why it should exist.
0: Well, exactly right. And also, I was saying this to somebody the other day, if and when it it all kind of clears itself up and Europe starts to begin to return to normal, there's not going to be an awful lot of money swilling around. And if uh, the EU has suddenly got its hand out looking for massive amounts of donations from uh, member countries, they're going to say, we can't afford it.
6: Yeah, and it politically just won't fly, will it? I mean, we saw last time, Ryan, when Greece got into a massive debt crisis... Germany came in. I mean, basically, they've got this thing called the Euro the European Stability Mechanism, the ESM, which was what they used to bail out Greece. So Greece could borrow from the rest of the EU, the ECB, but on con- a big, big conditions. Conditions which essentially allowed Germany to go in and take control of their governance and impose such horrible, stringent austerity. You still have in Greece today. People don't know this. You still have in Greece today a third of the population living in poverty, struggling to survive on around 350 euros per month suicide rates went up by 48% since 2008. So Italy, when they were offered this, saying, well, look, you're going to be in a big mess the other side of coronavirus. Right. You can take out a loan based on the ESM. They've turned around and said, it's not on your nelly. Right. We're not having the Germans coming in, taking over our economy and essentially running us into the ground, impoverishing and enslaving our people mm. and, and, and ensuring that we never self-govern again. Well, they already
0: ruined the olive oil business in Greece, didn't they? Because it's now cheaper for the Greeks to import German olive oil than it is for them to- to make their own and sell it to Germany.
6: Yeah, I mean, it's Greece bizarre. is basically an enslaved nation. It, it really is, and this is essentially how the eurozone operates. Yeah,
0: unbelievable.
6: And, yeah, and and I think that it, it, this crisis is really going to test the merit of the EU, and it's struggling already with the chief scientific advisor resigning, saying there's no solidarity.
0: Yeah.
6: I mean, at the moment, and he's also they not, advice. and
0: he's also said they're not doing enough, isn't he?
6: Yeah, I mean, you would you would argue. I mean, there is an argument you might say somewhere like the continent of Europe, to have a more consolidated effort when it comes to tackling disease, just because they're so interconnected. Anyone who's lived on the continent of Europe like I have in Belgium... I mean, Belgium's a weird blur of borders between France, the Netherlands, and on its east borders, Germany. Mm. It's a kind of, you know, it, it, one country bleeds into the other. If you go to Alsace in France, it's very much the same. It's like a sort of Venn diagram yes, of France it, and Germany. If it wasn't
0: for Luxembourg, it would be the strangest uh, um, country in Europe.
6: Well, yeah, quite. (laughs) You know, I used to date the um, Crown Prince of Luxembourg. Did you? He's going to run that country soon. I know.
0: Well, you should. I mean, I saw that you were advertising uh, yourself as as looking for a rich husband. You should have stuck with him, shouldn't you?
6: I know. I I really regret that. I made bad choices at university. But no, (laughs) I'm still looking for a rich husband. Now I've really embraced the idea of um, (laughs) suburbia and staying at home and cooking all the time. I'm a good cook. Excellent. I'm
0: sure you are. Now, uh, what about um, the the sort of the the outriders, as it were? Because we're hearing from Cornwall a lot of people have arrived uh, for the easter break already uh, you seem to have made it down there from london somehow is that I happening in your part of the world as well
6: yeah well i don't i mean i doubt people have got gloucester um, in their crosshairs to come to because as much as i absolutely adore my city and its passion mm. it's got a beautiful cathedral it's not really an you know go-to tourist no. but gloucestershire and just up the road the cotswolds without a doubt i opened the times the other day and you had um Giles Corran saying, "Oh no, I'm am struggling so much. I don't know whether to stay in my London flat or go to my second home in the Cotswolds."
0: Yes, I know. And I was like,
6: stay where you are.
0: Exactly. I mean, it's not difficult. It doesn't mean that just because you've got a second home, you can go and live in it.
6: And what's worse about this, and actually what we've seen in a lot of other countries, and New York did this, they put a quarantine around the city and said, to manage this, what we don't need is it's starting to spread to other parts of the country where actually there are fewer hospital facilities. Exactly. And rural communities where it's actually quite difficult travelling to get to a hospital, where ambulances take much longer to
0: arrive also you don't want thousands of people out on the roads really because i tell you what i have noticed in london anyway is that people have gone completely barking mad in terms of the way that they're driving they seem to think now that because there's no um, sort of rules because the police are all too busy you know patrolling the parks yeah that they, i mean i've had a guy just go straight through a red light you know i've had other people like overtaking uh, in sort of crowded high streets where there's with cars parked on both sides People driving sort of straight at you, overtake, It's just mad. You know, it's just...
6: interesting you say this because I know a brilliant orthopaedic surgeon who, who's a good friend of mine, we've been chatting all the time every day, and yeah. he said, and I said, well, oh, what are you doing? All my staff have gone off to work in ICU and I just have to wait around to see if there are emergency cases. And I said, well, oh, what's that like? And he said, it's gone up. Because people are driving yeah. like lunatics on it's open true.
0: roads. Yeah, it's absolutely bonkers. People behave in some very strange ways. But I guess it's a bit like you know you're sitting there saying you're quite happy in your uh, in your house down in Gloucester with your parents and cooking and doing yoga and all of that. Other people are just affected differently, I suppose.
6: Yeah, and you know what? Like I'm not living in the lap of luxury. I'm you know I'm living in very in a house that's very normal by the average Brit standards. Yeah. I'm not in my you know country mansion or anything like that. Um, but I, I really do feel for people who are in tower blocks in inner cities where yeah. you know, it's stuffy where you're packed up. And also, you know, you keep having these photographs, naming and shaming people in parks together, sitting around having, you know, a chat yeah. Who's to say that these aren't six Londoners who all share a house together because that's a very common situation yeah. in capital cities. Yeah, no,
0: I know it's a, it's, a, it's a tricky one but the police seem to be making noises about it being more and more difficult now for anyone to do anything like that and I think it's not going to be too long before they start shutting the Yeah, well, like, anyway. you know,
6: I came up with a brilliant solution for this um, which I've been trying to sort of pitch up the levels of government but essentially, look, you've got technology that exists to allow you to book tables online at restaurants yeah. and then when you get to the restaurant they usually have an iPad or a computer screen where it's a block book and they'll say, right, you know, you've got the table until 10 o'clock or whatever. You've also got an electoral register where you know how many adults are living in a household if they've bothered registering to vote. Mm. If you put the two together, then you have a system where you could easily have someone put in their postcode and their house number and say, I want to go to this particular park in my local area for this hour time slot. Then you have someone at the access of the park sort of checking you in and someone checking you out if you disobey the rules and stay longer then, you know, that's it, you're kicked out of the system. In red carded, yeah. Right, and you could go online and, you know, find out which parks in your local area are open to this scheme. And then the, you know, the local authorities could even prioritise places like inner cities and tower blocks where yeah. people don't have gardens. Well, that, that would be sensible. First
0: dibs. Yeah, that would be sensible so that it's not just people who want to go and have a picnic, it's actually people who need to get out into some, into some grass land yeah. that and they can see around. There are ways of
6: doing this. I yes. mean, in, in sort of normal time, it'd be very Orwellian if you had to yeah. put online to go to a local park. But to me, that seems like a far more sensible option than actually banning people from going altogether, especially especially people who haven't got access to the outdoors. It's not just critical for mental health. It's also critical for physical health because it's known, it's proven by scientific fact, that you need vitamin D to stimulate your immune system. You need sunshine on your skin.
0: Yeah, absolutely right. And I'm, you know, luckily enough, I'm, I'm, I can w- take a little walk out from where I am, and I can, I can get that done. We'll stay uh, well, Alex. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you very much indeed, Alex Phillips. They're reporting in as our Gloucester correspondent. We've got them all over the world now. We might as well have one in Gloucester. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand. A couple of you have tweeted in about holiday companies. One from Bev. She says, Hi, Mike. Remember my holiday to Bali booked for May the first. I received this from Secret Escapes yesterday. Are they nuts? I'm clearly not going. So why this? They want me to cancel. So they- they can pocket my four thousand pounds they basically get sent an email which says you're probably aware of the ongoing um novel coronavirus outbreaks in different countries around the world as a valued member with an upcoming booking your trip is expected to go ahead as planned on the 1st of May well I don't think so and she obviously wants to, to to cancel but she doesn't want to give them the money to keep and Steve says a friend of mine has booked a holiday for June the 1st through on the beach for £900 per person had an email asking not to cancel but to postpone sounds sensible rang to push back to the same date next year and they asked for an extra £1,000 per person why would you do that? I'm now an ex-customer. That is ridiculous, isn't it? Absolutely dreadful. We are going to name and shame anyone uh, who's trying to gouge money from people just because things have to be postponed or delayed. I mean, that is not the way to deal with it. That is not the way to deal with people, no matter what sort of business you are in. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It's time now for our very successful and very satisfying, I have to say, homeschooling section so if you haven't done it yet uh, do gather your children around the radio uh, or whatever means you're listening to you might even gather them around the tv if you're watching it on youtube uh, which is where we are now Uh, or of course you can have them gather around the dab uh, or the uh, the laptop if you're listening uh, via the website which is talkradio.co.uk we're going to talk now to Catherine hall uh, who is indeed the education manager for schools and young audiences at the british museum because we're going to talk a little bit about ancient egypt Catherine, a very good afternoon to you Hello lovely to be with you. Yes it's great isn't it because um, we've actually we sort of started this in earnest a couple of weeks ago after the lockdown began and and it's been really fascinating we've had some really interesting guests we had Carol Vorderman talking about maths we had Tim Vine yesterday telling people how to write a joke and I (laughs) thought to myself I've always had one particular question about the ancient Egyptians and that is before you explain about what they did where did they actually go because they suddenly seemed to vanish into thin air didn't they?
5: Ah, well, this is a very interesting question, because, of course, when we talk about ancient Egyptians, most people are thinking about the period of life in the Nile Valley when the pharaohs were ruling. In fact, there'd been people living in the Nile Valley for tens of thousands of years before that, and then the last pharaoh of ancient Egypt was Cleopatra VII. Most people just know her as Cleopatra, but... uh, she was actually Cleopatra. Oh, she seven.
0: was the she was the one and only Cleopatra. She's
5: was she? the famous one, right. indeed. Okay. And at the end of her reign, Egypt became part of the Roman Empire. Right. So Egypt was still there. A lot of the cultural traditions of what we think of as ancient Egypt continued, but for the next few hundred years of its history, it's known as Roman Egypt. Ah,
0: okay. And so- as far as their kind of ethnicity was concerned, did that just get sort of swallowed up by the Romans then?
5: Uh, Well, ancient Egypt was an empire itself, Mm. so there were lots of different people living in the Nile Valley, and it had connections with all the other countries around the Mediterranean Sea, Right, and so people would have been moving in and out of ancient Egypt, they had connections uh, with the Greeks, and then later on, as you say, the Romans came in when it was part of the Mm. Roman Empire, later Arab traders came up into the Nile Valley, so... Really, every every country in history is usually a rich rich mix of people moving around the world, which we've been doing since time began. Yes,
0: basically, since time immemorial, yeah. What about how kind of skilled they were and how educated they became and how clever they were at maths and physics and all of the things that they did, which seemed to be so far advanced of everyone else in the world at the time?
5: Well, I think what we're very lucky with, with ancient Egypt, is we have an awful lot of evidence. Mm. And historians and archaeologists build up their stories about the past and their histories from the evidence that remains. And what we have from the ancient Egyptians is fantastic information which they themselves wrote down. Uh, which is captured in their buildings, in their statues, in their tombs. And it's that evidence which tells us so much about their medical knowledge, their mathematical knowledge, uh, their literacy, their, their rich poetic traditions. So we're very fortunate that where that would have been reflected in other societies at the time, of course, if it's, say, captured in the spoken word... That doesn't survive for us today. No. But ancient Egypt have just left us this wonderful treasure chest of evidence that gives us such an insight into their intellectual life.
0: Yes, absolutely right. Now, you said about the voices there. I'm just going to play you this thing, because you'll remember this, I'm sure, from about a month or so ago, and maybe two months ago. Somebody actually um, sort of estimated what the mummy would have sounded like at Royal Holloway uh, yeah. at the University of London. Let's have a listen. Yeah.
4: <laughs>
0: it's one of my favourite recordings of all time. When I when I first heard it, you know, I said to people, it sounds a bit like Lord Adonis talking about HS two, but let's not go there. But I mean, but they still were very advanced for, for the time that they were alive, weren't they?
5: Human- throughout history have been incredibly creative Mm. and incredibly clever at adapting to their environment and creating the world around them that they want and we know that the ancient egyptians had medical knowledge which is captured on their papyrus which was the material that they used as one of the main surfaces for writing on and also mathematically Mm. the mass they were using to build structures such as the temples um, and to to lay out their towns and cities, again, that mathematics is captured on papyrus. We've got a very famous example at the British Museum, the Rhind papyrus. Right. So, yes, we know the skills that they were developing, the skills that they were then applying to be, build their world from the evidence they've left us
0: yes and you have got a remarkable sort of um, cache of stuff there at the British Museum haven't you? what's your sort of favorite bit of it because you've got quite a lot of mummies I used my, my my parents took me there when I was a little a little boy for the first time um, and I apparently called the um, uh, the mummies body body cases which seemed quite an appropriate phrase for them but they they are quite spooky to look at aren't they
5: uh, we have a wonderful collection of mummies at the British Museum. We've got not only human mummies, but we've also got mummified animal remains. Yes. And we have a lot of our mummies, a lot of our ancient Egyptians on display in the galleries. And I think you're right that a lot of people, when they speak to me, almost the first thing they'll say is, oh, I came to the British Museum when I was a child, <laughs> often with their parents yes. or, or with their schools. And the ancient Egyptian galleries every day during term time when the museum is open are full of young learners meeting and learning from our mummies on display.
0: Right. It is a fabulous place, the British Museum. It's always been one of my favourites because it's so vast that you could literally spend a week there and still not see all of it.
5: Oh, you can come into the British Museum building and you can go through time and around the world. And there are so many galleries, over 50 galleries, that there's always something else to discover when you go there that you haven't seen before.
0: And in terms of the actual discoveries of all of the various tombs and things, do you think there's a lot more out there that we haven't found yet?
5: There probably is. Um, a lovely example we've got at the British Museum are some tomb paintings from the tomb of a government official called Nevermoon, mm. who lived in what we call the New Kingdom period of Egyptian history. And some of the tomb paintings from his tomb were originally found in the 1820s right. and came to the British Museum. But the tomb itself is now a lost site. No one knows where the tomb is. It's still there. Um, It's still built into the hillside around what was the ancient city of Thebes. But because Egypt is still a living community, Mm. um, people are still living in the Nile Valley. Um, Some of these tombs occasionally have become parts of cellars in people's houses. Others of them have been lost over time where screes come down hillsides. So, yes, just as with the discovery of Tutankhamun's tomb in the 1920s, there is other material there, Mm. and one of the joys of archaeology is you never know what you are going to find next.
0: No. And are there still teams of people out there sort of working on all that stuff?
5: There are a lot of archaeologists from around the world working in Egypt. There's a lot of work going on on the material that has been found already yeah. because people often get an idea that when you find an ancient site or when you find a group of objects, um, it's, it's all very busy and it all happens in a in a very short space of time. But as we know from the discovery and recording of um Tutankhamun's tomb that period can be 10 years or more so there are lots of people working in Egypt but the thing that people often overlook is that they will often have been working on their own archaeological project for a a, a decade or more because what archaeologists like to do is they like to find and study things very slowly yes you don't want to rush
0: it no well this is what we're all having to do now because we've got so much time on our hands we have to spend an awful lot of it taking ages to do everything Absolutely. what about what about it's a, I guess the British Museum's not open at the moment I, I suppose
5: no it's... we with for the safety of staff and the public we are one of the cultural sites closed in the UK at the moment the museum is now Shut down. The objects are all there, quite safe and sound. Uh, right. Security is still there, keeping the the site safe. But yes, it's not open to the public at the moment.
0: Okay. One final question. What about the curse of Tutankhamun? <gasps> <laughs> you
5: no, know, that's another question I, have, I often get asked. Now, and it is. Um, I don't know whether you'll be sorry to hear this or not, but I'm afraid to say it's actually a myth in its (laughs) own right. There is no such thing as the curse of Tutankhamun.
0: Well, you could say that, but, I mean, I'm sorry, there is quite a lot of evidence, isn't there, all the people that found the tomb, they all died.
5: Yeah, it was was a story that was originally created by the newspapers of the time Uh as a way to maintain interest in the emptying and the recording of the tomb, which, right. as we say, went on for ten years, so right. how do you keep people interested? Well, this idea of of a curse and then pulling in things that happened, like Lord Carnarvon's death, yes, um, into that story, but then forgetting to mention things like the fact that Howard Carter himself did not die for decades after he had been working. They
0: on They got him story. in the end, though.
5: So. Uh, the <laughs> a bit selective yes, uh, with the information they pulled into their story, but it, it certainly helped them to sell papers. Yes,
0: no, it always did. Well, I remember one of my first jobs on a newspaper, and I did one of my first shifts in Fleet Street, was uh, to do a Curse of Carmen story, because we found some kind of musical travelling around the West Country, and all sorts of terrible things kept happening to it. Uh, so the set fell on somebody, and he broke his leg. Somebody else crashed the van into something, you know, and it was written as though it was all to do with the fact that they were doing this musical about Carmen. It was quite funny. I, 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 do you know what I
5: think? I think this sort of story always shows just what a rich tapestry human life is. <laughs> and you can always find something happening somewhere at all times around the world. Good and bad happens the whole time. Yes. and uh, Yes, the, the curse of Tutankhamun has certainly kept him famous for for decades after his discovery.
0: Absolutely. Catherine thank you so much for talking to us. Catherine Hall education manager for schools and young audiences at the British Museum. Fascinating time the whole uh, era of the pharaohs and Cleopatra and ancient Egypt. Absolutely fascinating. Once they reopen the British Museum, if you haven't been there, you really should go. It's a a wonderful place Tomorrow uh, we're going to be doing some physiotherapy uh, on the the homeschooling section Uh, We're going to be talking um, to a fitness instructor who's going to tell us what we can do over the course of the next few days to keep fit uh, in a fun way, not only for you, but for your kids as well. Things you can do in the house, things you can do in the garden. It's going to be fascinating. Uh, It's going to be educational and it's also going to be fun. This is Talk Radio. Talk Radio. Across the UK. Online. On DAB. And on your smart speaker. The independent republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio.